Hello, and welcome to Monumental, where we sit down with entrepreneurs, leaders, visionaries, and big thinkers making monumental change. Here's your host, Evan Holliday. Welcome to Monumental. I'm your host, Evan Holliday, and today on the show, we have with us Alex Fidel. Alex, how you doing, man? I'm doing excellent, man. How you doing? Doing well, doing well. Glad we finally get to connect. Alex and I have been uh, following each other and keep it, keeping up with each other on Instagram. Uh, that's what I, the beauty of social media and Instagram uh, is we can we can have this connection and keep up with each other and see, you know, being able to see your growth in real estate and helping others and, and your podcast, The Closers Club, has been really great for me. And at some point I was like, man, we got to get Alex on the show. Thanks, man. I, well, likewise, I, the first question I said was, how many doors are you up to? I saw you just close like another 20 doors. I'm in awe, man. And you're only 30, which is the most impressive part about it. Yes. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad we finally get to connect. Um, so everybody listening, a little bit about Alex before we get started. He is a regional vice president for Coldwell Banker Realty in Dallas-Fort Worth, overseeing 10 offices, 850 realtors, and over $2 billion in closed sales. Uh, those are some big numbers, Alex. I, I, I'm excited to dive into all that. Uh, he's been in real estate for over 23 years. He's worked um, at many, many different companies. It looks like all over the country, um, yeah. from California, Colorado, and Miami, um, and including recruiting director, sales coach, sales manager, and sales. Uh, and not to mention, he is the host of the Closer Club, where he's had on names like Dan Fleischman, uh, Bobby Castro, um, Jordan Zimmerman, just some phenomenal guests uh, and really, really great content. Um, so with that, Alex, let's just dive right into a little bit of your background and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, man. So, you know, like you, you got started, what, at 19 years old in, in multifamily investing. I got involved in real estate at 19, not because I had visions of, of doing real estate or anything like that. Uh, I had my first son at 19. I, I have four boys uh, 23, 13 and uh, 10 year old twins. And uh, I needed a job. And I started off as the secretary to the owner of the largest real estate company in Florida. And, uh, you know, eight months into it, I would always hear him complaining about hiring a bunch of agents, but losing a bunch of agents a month. And I said, listen, you're only paying me 21 grand a year. Do you mind, you know, if I started recruiting to make some extra money? And uh, that was the spark that kind of took me throughout these different paths of, you know, recruiting directors for, for some of the biggest real estate companies in Florida, California, Colorado, now Texas, um, sales director, sales manager, you know, sales coach, president, regional vice president, uh, all that stuff. So it's all I know. Real estate's all I know. That's awesome. And so it sounds like you really, you, you kind of coincidentally came into this um, by working through somebody else. Is that right? Uh, what, what do you mean? In, in what way? When you first started working for uh, for the group when you were 19 years old. Um, oh, you... yeah. You know, what happened was, so I needed a job because I had my son. I was going to school full time, working full time, you know, had my family full time. But I was a camp counselor. I was making like 10 bucks an hour. And um, I, when I started trying to get serious about my career, I actually had two options on the table. And one was to work with Mike Pappas, who's the owner of the Kai's company, which is uh, still to this day, the largest independently owned real estate company in Florida, or go sell advertising at the Miami Herald, 
because uh, my mom was at the Herald and she just retired after 50 years. The only reason I took the job at Kai's with Mike Pappas was because I got the job on my own versus a job that my mom got me. I didn't want the stress. You know, I didn't want that held over me. And um, yeah, it started, it really started there. I'm still very close with Mike to this day, uh, but he took a chance not only on hiring this kid as a, as a secretary, but as letting me recruit for them and then getting eventually promoted to their recruiting director, like at 20. Um, and then from there I got, I got poached out to California. Um, uh, got separated from my 23 year old's mother out there, came back, did it for Prudential here. Uh, when that guy for Prudential here went to Colorado, he brought me to Colorado. Um, so I, I've been poached all along. And then most recently in, in Dallas, I was running this large real estate company in Florida that when I took it over, we only had like 40 something realtors. When I, at its peak, we had almost 600. Um, and then I had this opportunity to work for, with the largest real estate company in the world and uh, in the middle of a pandemic. And how can you say no to that? So I, I took the risk. Here we are. I love it. I love the amount of times that you've pivoted and grown and, and basically take, taken, you know, leaps of faith and moved all over the country. Um, it's no way to do it, man. It's, it's no yeah. fun any other way, you know? I love that. I love that. Um, I do want to dive into that, but I want to, I want to back up a little bit as far as starting out working for Mike Pappas in Florida, what, what, what gave Mike Pappas the confidence to, in you to, to basically, like you said, at 20 years old, give you the position of director of recruiting? Man, I wish I could remember, Evan. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, it was a long time ago. It was 23 years yeah. ago. I, listen, Mike, Mike, it, it's interesting. I see a lot of me, or I see a lot of Mike in me now, particularly. At, at Mike's 60-something now, so he was in his, in his mid-40s when I started. I'm 42 now. Uh, so I think he saw in me a kid that was like him, you know, somebody who had a lot of energy, a lot of passion, who obviously had uh, a motivating factor outside of just making money. It was like, yeah, I had to make money, but I had to provide it for the family. Um, and at that point in time, I, I think they were just losing so many agents. You know, they were bringing in 70 or 80 agents a month, but they were losing 70 or 80 agents a month. So they're making all this effort with no progress. Well, why don't we just give this kid a try? Let's see what he can do. Uh, and within eight months, I was promoted to the recruiting director because I was literally picking up the phone, not cell phones, but picking up the landline yeah. and, and calling them and saying, you know, I, I don't remember what I would say, but um, setting up all these appointments with these brand new agents getting into the business. And he essentially asked me to then train all the different offices on how to do it. And that's how it kind of took off. That's great. And, and what, what for you, how did you get good at recruiting? What, what for you made that work? Uh, and Time in the saddle, man. It's, it, that's, yeah. it's like anything in life. It's, it's time in the saddle. I think one of the biggest things that I don't think salespeople do enough of is role-playing. And so the, the role-playing component is so important, particularly if you don't have a lot of at-bats. So if you're in sales and you're only pitching once a day or once a week, that's really not a lot of time to get your, in, at your, your at-bats, right? So yeah. the only way you can replicate that is by literally practicing. And, and by virtue of my, of my podcast, I've had some of, you know, forget salespeople, but some of the top athletes in the world, some people, politicians, uh, my best friend who's a police officer. And you ask him like, how are you handling these high pressure situations? Like this guy, uh, George Hincapie, who raced with Lance Armstrong. He's like, how do you, how do you handle those high pressure situations? He's like, man, we spend thousands and thousands of hours on the bike. 
So when the time came to actually compete, we knew we put in the time. Um, yeah. My buddy who was the police officer, who's actually a pilot for Invicta Watches, the, the owner of Invicta Watches too. I'm like, all right, flight emergency, a guy pulls a gun on you. How do you know what to do? He's like, easy, it's, it's muscle memory. Um, so I will tell you that I sucked at recruiting in the beginning. I sucked at my show in the beginning, yeah. uh, but it was just time in the saddle repetition, the muscle memory. And, and that's how I got good at it. Yeah. Putting in the work, getting in the saddle. I love that. That is that simple, by the way, it really is that simple. There's no magic. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, it's just like getting your at bats in. And if you don't have the opportunity to get those at bats in, then try to create that through the role playing or through some other, you know, simulation type effect where you can practice time and time again and put in the work until you, you overcome that hurdle of, like you said, like you were, you were crappy when you started, but you work through that. You, you work that muscle until you got stronger. Yeah. I mean, listen, the show is a perfect example. Everybody's like, but Alex, you know, I'm a hundred, uh, this week was 119 episodes in and everyone's like, Oh, you're so good on camera or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, well go, go back and look at episode number one. And, and episodes one through 20 and you'll see I wasn't yeah. um, and, and it took that many episodes to get to a point where I felt really comfortable and not get nervous anymore. And if something happened, cause I film it live, if something happened, whatever, you just learn to roll. And, and, but again, it's time in the saddle. So for you on the recruiting side um, within these real estate companies that you've worked for and where you're at currently, um, is your main focus on the recruitment side or is it also on the, the deal side? Uh, so I don't deal doctor as much as I used to. Um, my prior role as president of Related ISG, which was my former brokerage, even then in the beginning when I was you know, president, but also the sales managers for the offices, you, you get involved in the deal doctoring. Um, after that, really, uh, when you get to the, the higher level for me, I would tell you that 80% of my time is spent in what I call the raving fan territory. Great book, by the way, not my favorite book. I know you're going to ask that. I'll, I'll share that with you in a minute. Um, but uh, you got to be in that raving fan territory and making sure that your existing agents are raving fans of, of your brokerage, of their office, of their sales manager in their office, uh, maybe even as me as leader, but more importantly, the office, the sales manager in the brokerage. Um, and if they are raving fans, cool. What can we do to continue that going? And if yeah. they're not raving fans, how do we make them raving fans? But that falls in line with recruiting because in recruiting a salesperson in real estate, at least, you really got to do a good job of asking the what and how questions and breaking them down to know whether or not by bringing this agent on board, you're going to be able to make them a raving fan of your company. If I hire an agent knowing that I'm not going to make them a raving fan, I'm better off telling them to stay where they're at. Um, but if I know, and I, I'm very open about this, I'll tell an agent I'm gonna ask a million questions. Um, and the, my goal is this, if I can't make you a raving fan, I'm going to tell you, stay where you're at, or I'm going to tell you where to go interview. If I know I can make you a raving fan, just be ready. I'm going to be relentless in bringing you on board. Um, but that becomes a lot easier when you have raving fans in your company that are telling you, Hey, Alex, you should go meet with Evan. He's a great agent. We just did a deal together. Um, he's expecting your call. Um, and when you grow that way, you grow significantly better and quicker. That's crazy. I love that. Um, so, so really it sounds like your, your zone of genius is in that, like finding talent and then empowering that talent to really do their highest and best work. 
Zone of genius. I love that. Uh, I love that that term. I learned that from Bedros Koulian, the, the founder of uh, Fit Body Bootcamp. But Bedros got it from somebody else. I don't remember. But yeah, hundred percent. I don't. I joke. So I get a company issued computer. Okay, and the company issued computer is the only way that I can actually tap into the the true financials of the company. Okay, um, I haven't opened that computer. I've been on the job four months. Uh, I haven't opened that computer from day one. Okay. Um, and I don't say that like, oh, it doesn't, it doesn't mean I'm not paying attention to the financials. I'm very much in tune with the financials, but if there's anything I need, I rely on the people like my finance girl, Tiffany, I'll email Tiffany. Hey, Tiffany, I need this report or Don, who's my assistant. Hey, Don, I need you to pull this report for me because me spending 10 minutes going into the system, finding it, what exactly do I need? It may take me 30 minutes and I can coach an agent in 30 minutes. And still, and still have the information at the end of the 30 minutes. So yeah, hundred percent. Those are my, my zone of genius for sure. Yeah. I love that. And, and that's something we talk about with our company holiday ventures is, is how can we all um, be performing at our highest and best use and, and be focused in on exactly what we are the best at doing yeah. and what, where we can add the most value to the company and our projects. Um, and that's something we talk about all the time is exactly what you're saying is, um, you know, my, my role at, at being able to lead the company comes down to, you know, high level negotiations. It comes down to setting the direction and the vision. Uh, and that those really those two things, along with training the company and building the company and making sure we have the right resources to fulfill our, our big vision. Um, that's where I need to be spending the majority of my time. Like you said, it's not, it's not going through, um, you know, going through as many of the details, it's about setting the vision and executing on that vision. Yeah. And, and that, that was a big thing for me in, in adjusting because the, the other company where I came from, we were privately owned. We operate, even though we were very successful, we operated on a shoestring budget. So you were kind of like the end all be all. You kind of did a, a little bit of everything. Um, here, we have a plethora of resources afforded to us because we are a public company of people that I can call on and really help me get what I need so that I can go out and do what I do best. And, and really what I do best is I'm either in front of an agent, coaching them or recruiting them or with my management team, coaching them or helping them in a, in a recruiting interview. Um, because even though I'm great at recruiting, there's only one of me, but I have 10 sales managers. And if I can get those 10 sales managers uh, really good at recruiting and efficient, um, well, they're going to be able to do their job a lot easier. And, and if they're able to do their job a lot easier, then they have a call. Hey, Alex, then they have a quality of life. I told you, you're going to, have, I have a window behind me. So there's or in front of behind the camera. So they're passing by. Um, then I can get, help them have a better quality of life. Um, so we're trying to help them get to a certain clear goal. Um, and if I can help them get there more efficiently, then they have more time to go do whatever they want to do. If they want to work more yeah. cool, but then they can go on vacation if they want or, or yeah. enjoy their family. And afford to and afford that lifestyle as well. Right. Oh, absolutely. Um, so it really sounds like part of your not only not only um, recruiting, but also like coaching and mentoring as well. A lot of it is coaching and mentoring. I, I would, you know, again, recruiting sounds like it's a big piece of it. But uh, when I get involved with a recruit, it's typically they've already made it past the first line of defense is what I call it. Like they've yeah. met with a manager. The manager's already done the value proposition to Cobalt Banker. Now they're saying, hey, Alex, listen, this is a big enough agent that I need you to meet with to help bring them on board. Um, other than that, I we coach 
our agents all day, like every day I have different coaching sessions going on. Um, and now what I'm really working on the transition is coaching my managers uh, from who to prospect. Uh, once they have identified who they're going to target, we'll jump like on a Zoom call. And uh, what they'll do is rather than like, you know, listening in through a recording or something, we do real like real real time coaching. So let's say you and I were doing a coaching session together. You're one of my sales managers. You're about to call a recruit, depending on the type of recruit, uh, we'll determine what you say. You will be on cam. I'll, I'll turn my camera off and, and I'll mute myself so that you don't feel pressured that you see me looking at you. Um, and I'll tell you, open up your chat and I'll just listen to the conversation. And then if I see an opportunity, I've learned to type really fast. I'll type in a question and then you hear the manager ask a question. And then you hear the reaction. And then all of a sudden, our average conversion of, you know, for one out of every four people that we were talking to, we've been able to double that. And now we're getting two out of every four people want to meet with us instead of one. And we're just getting started. Um, now the next step is coaching them. Okay, now I got Evan in front of me. How am I going to, what's the interview process like so that I can just, you know, close Evan? And in the short amount of time that I've been here, Cobalt Banker uh, measures regions based on growth. So a little story. So Realogy is actually the largest real estate company in the world. And Realogy owns uh, the Cobalt Banker, Century 21, ERA, Better Homes and Garden, uh, Sotheby's, Corcoran, real estate brands, and a couple of oh, city habitats. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, and then they also own Cardus Relocation, which is the, the largest relocation network in the, in the world. For the most of those brands, they're franchises, but for certain ones, they're corporate owned stores. So, um, which is primarily under Cobalt Banker. I work for the corporate owned stores of Realogy and I oversee all of DFW, Dallas, Fort Worth. Um, and so what they do is they take all the corporate, corporate owned regions, there's 43 of them, and they rank them based on experienced agents that they've brought to the company, right? Growth is a big thing for us. Um, it doesn't matter how big your region is. Mine's 10. My buddy Brad in Southern California has 29. Okay. And we're measured the same. Okay. It doesn't matter. It's just how many experienced agents have you been able to bring on board? Just in the four months that I've been here, we've gone from number 17 out of 43 to number seven in the country. Um, and everybody ahead of me has at least 15 offices or more. Wow. And it's just not, I, I don't want to say, holding them accountable because we have weekly accountability calls, um, but I'll, we can get into that if you want. It's more just how are we measuring where they're lacking, seeing where the opportunity is to improve, plugging myself in there to help them improve. And then we're seeing these, you know, these pretty big results. That's, that's pretty amazing in four months. I mean, it seems I like from, from an outsider's perspective, you're like, man, at four months, you're probably just still getting acclimated to the new company culture and, New people, new faces, new systems, everything. Well, OK, so that's that's an interesting thing. I, I focus it, it, again, going back to, you know, not logging into the computer, the company, <laughs> into the financials. I have to look at the things and say, what are what's going to move the needle in my region? Right. Yeah. Knowing how to get into MIS and operate that, that doesn't move the needle in my region. What moves the needle in my region is is making sure that the agents we have stay with Coal Banker and adding to that with other great agents. That's across the board, that's what moves my needle. So that's where all my attention is. Um, there's a plethora of other things that I need to know and that I need to learn.
But even even from a value proposition standpoint, as long as I know enough, of just I just need to know a little bit about each one so that based on how you do your business, there may be 20. But if I know how all 20 work from a perception level, like I'm not going to I'm not going to be the guy to sit in there and show you physically how the system works. As long as I know from a perception level how it works, I'll talk to you. You're going to tell me how you do your business. I'm going to pick the three or four things that I know can make a dramatic impact in your business. And I'm only going to focus on that. Um, and that's a great kind of one-two punch with my sales manager and I. My sales manager knows everything about Cobalt Banker, all the tools, how they work, the nitty gritty, the minutia. Cool. Let them do that. I'll be the big picture guy. Uh, let me show you how I'm going to take your business from where it's at, increase it in the next year by 25% show you how our tools can do that and away we go. That's amazing. I love that. And you know, it's funny is it sounds similar to um, something when people ask me, they're like, what, what makes a good developer? Um, I typically tell them, I said, you know, it really comes down to, it's very similar to what you just said. It comes down to uh, developers really know and understand that there's 10 to 20 issues, you know, obstacles in your way of, of, getting these developments done and there's a lot of moving pieces, but developers, good developers know how to pick out the one to two issues, the dominoes that if you knock that down, then all the others will be a lot easier or will just be obsolete. Yeah. That's, that's a good way to look at it. You know, hundred percent. Everybody listen, there's I, the one thing I love. I, I used to have, I have a mentor doesn't mentor me as much because he's the brother-in-law of the owner of the company I left. Right. So I can see why he doesn't mentor me as much, but him and I talk all the time. We actually just talked two yeah. days ago and he always talked about hey, Alex, what are the KPIs? You know, what are your KPIs, et cetera. And, and the reality is that at my prior brokerage, because we were small, the KPIs were very hard to track. Um, and, and now we, now the, the converse of that here at Realogy is I think there's not, there's not one single data point that's not measured. And that I can't get a report on. So now yeah. we have all the KPIs. But again, I have a million KPIs. I, I'm not worried about the million. I'm focused on the two or three that are going to move my needle. So that brings up a good point. What do you what do you recommend for our listeners as far as setting up KPIs and then being accountable for those KPIs? Well, you have to look at what the accountables are. You have to look at what the KPIs are that are going to make the impact in your business. For us, it's very for us, it's pretty easy. It's it's, you know, how many calls are you making to recruits out of those calls that you're making? How many are you speaking to out of the ones that you spoke to? How many, how many actually agreed to meet with you? Um, okay. Then actually, how many people did you interview? How many did you hire out of the ones that you've interviewed? What kind of production did they have? Um, you know, I also measure how many calls you made to your existing agents from a proactive basis, not okay, Evan, you have a problem. So you're calling me to deal doctor. I'm calling you and saying, hey, Evan, we haven't talked in a week. How you doing? Because, yeah. again, my agent, eight realtors are independent contractors, you know, um, so they don't they come in whenever they want. Um, did they have, how many one on one group coaching sessions did they have? How many group coaching sessions did they have? Did they have a sales meeting and how many social media posts they had? And every Friday we get on a call collectively and we track that. Um, and the reason we do that is because those are the KPIs that for me are going to make a difference. If I know you're recruit, if I know you're making the calls, you're going to get, you're going to speak to a certain amount of people. If you're not able to convert those people to interviews, well, that's that domino right then and there. You're not going to have yeah. it if you're not getting in front of people. So I, that's my first domino that I work on. Um, then it's like, okay, well, Hey, Evan, you met with 10 people, but you didn't hire anybody. Well, 
crap, what are you saying in the interview? Like, but then we got to yeah. work. Um, but great. That's, that's, that's keeping your front door full, but then you got to make sure the back door is shut. Well, realtors are constantly getting poached. How do you keep that back door shut? Well, you put your armor on your agents, make an impact, continue to coach them, let them see the value in you as a leader and in the brokerage. Um, and then from a social media perspective, you know, your competition is always going to talk trash about what you do. Uh, you can't control what they're going to say. The power of social media is you're able to control your own narrative. So regardless of what your competition says, if you're not putting out a message to the message that you want, then everybody's going to believe what your competition is saying. Yeah. Um, and so for me, those are my KPIs. Those like, it's, it's very simple, right? Re agents make us money. There's no other way we make money. We make money yeah. off of our agents. And so are your agents making you money? Are you helping them make money? And are you bringing in agents who can add to your bottom line? So that's yeah. what you got to find in your business, whatever that business may be. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. Um, and like you said, I think, you know, the, the other, the back end of it is, you know, if agents are, they're the ones that are making the income for Coldwell, you know, you really on the front end or on the back end, I should say, like you said, really cultivating those relationships to make sure, you know, they, they look up to you, they, they, you provide that leadership to them um, and you're providing that impact and, and helping them empower them to have the right tools to succeed. Yeah, man. And listen, real estate, it's interesting, real estate. So I, I think real estate companies do one of two things, right? I think you have real estate companies that have great leadership and no tools. And then I think you have real estate companies that have great tools and not great leadership. Very few do both right. We happen to do both right here, but if we're not making that effort and showing our agents and what good does it do? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we, we um, uh, a quick side note, the, what we use at Holiday Ventures, uh, we use Traction in the EOS as our you know, operating system for our company. Um, but I think it's really important, like you said, to, to find those tools and that system that works for you as a business and combine that with the good leadership. And obviously always developing your leadership skills and always continuing to learn and pour into um, your mindset and your personal growth so that you can then turn around and give that back to your, to your team and to your company. Absolutely. Like, listen, I could talk about recruiting all day, but get into, and, and P&Ls I feel pretty comfortable with, but the way public companies measure, the way public companies look at every, at every data point and every KPI, that is like, I'm, I'm walking into Harvard right now uh, without yeah. the college education before. Uh, and it's exciting and nerve wracking at the same time, but it, it's, it's, it really is cool because I'm going to be adding a piece to my arsenal that I currently do not have. Yeah. So what, what is driving you, what is pushing you to, to put in all this work and, and to make this impact on, on your team and, and the world? Uh, and, and this is going to sound really cocky, but I think I can run a, a real estate company on a national level. And, and so, you know, we we're talking off camera, kind of like, why would you move to Dallas in the middle of a pandemic? You seem to be having a good gig, your show, all that stuff. And, um, you know, the reality is that I loved, so I worked for a brokerage called Related ISG. I took it from 45 agents, like I said, to almost 600. Um, they were offering me 25% ownership in the brokerage when I left. I had full reign over that company. Like they were, essentially they were gonna close it when I took it over. So I had I had the ability to do whatever I wanted to do. Uh, the, from a culture perspective, the things that we did there were really cool. Um, it was my baby. The house that we bought at the end of 2016 was on an acre lot. 
my my boys, my small boys, my 13 year old and my 10 year old twins, you know, they're always playing. We had a full soccer field in the back. They were like soccer wow. pool, video yeah. games pool, soccer. They had this rotation. We loved. We just put all this money into it. Like we loved it, right? So I was. I wasn't even happy. I was. I was ecstatic at my job, and I loved our home. Like like I told you off camera. Yeah. Ride a lot when we sold it, but the reality is that I kept telling myself that one day you're going to run a company on a national level, but I wasn't in that arena. And so either I was just blowing smoke up my, you know what, or I was going to put myself in that position. Yeah. Uh, and this was the position that presented itself. And so even though I was happy, it didn't play a role in where I wanted to be, you know, a year from now, three years from now, five years from now. That's amazing. Um, yeah. I, so we were talking to, to give a little background to our listeners. Um, so like you'd mentioned, you, you basically took that you know, related ISG from, from, like you said, almost nothing to massively successful. Um, and that's what I was alluding to before we jumped on was you, you seem to have this amazing thing going in, in South Florida and really had a lot of momentum. Your podcast is crushing it. You're having all these amazing guests on a lot of them in South Miami or South Florida. Um, and, and then all of a sudden out of nowhere, it's like, Oh, he's moving to, he's moving to Texas. Yeah. And, but I, I think it takes massive, you know, commitment and ability to kind of, you know, take those leaps of faith. Um, and that's where the massive growth happens. I mean, when we moved to Nashville, that was a big move for us. Um, we moved from Louisville to Nashville and, and, but that honestly, that was the, the kind of the kick in the butt that helped us massively grow our vision for our company and for the impact we could have. yeah man you got to make those moves and it didn't seem like i had a good job like it was man like i was i I really was gaining traction in florida and and, and in particular in in the real estate world because of what we did with the brokerage because of the podcast and everything that we were doing like i I was definitely making my mark there okay but again that mark at least in south florida did not present me the opportunities that i really wanted you know for my life and again, you're, you're going to be telling yourself a story all these times. And, uh, you know, you're telling yourself a story. I tell myself a story. Everybody who's going to watch this yep. is going to tell themselves a story about I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And then you're going to come across a stage in your life that it's going to be given to you on a platter. And that's where that's where the, what I call the come to Jesus moment comes. And you're either going to say, this is what I was built for. Let's rock. Or, yeah, that's that, that's what I want, but I'm not. I'm not sure anymore, you know, and you know, you're either committed or you're interested. So I was committed. Exactly. Um, So what, what, how did this come about? Was it, was it in the works or was it just an opportunity that came about all of a sudden for you? Good question. So let's, let's go back to the end of last year. End of last year, I interviewed Bedros Koulian for my show, Fit Body Bootcamp, tell him all these goals that I have. And it figuratively punches me in the face and says, it's all your fault. All the goals that you had that you didn't hit, it's all your fault. And I'm like, he's right. So came home and I read this book called The Secret. Still not my favorite book, but I read this book <laughs> called The Secret, okay? Um, and I wrote down 25 manifestations, uh, 11 personal, eight personal professional that have to do with owning real estate, my show, et cetera, um, and then six professional. And one of the professional ones, and again, I, this is going to sound cocky, but you know, these are my manifestations for what I want in my life. 
And they were, uh, it was, I'm so happy and grateful. I'm the best leader, a leader everybody wants to work for and everybody wishes they had at their respective company. And every morning at lunch and at dinner, I would repeat those manifestations to myself, the all 25. Long story short, within like two weeks, this was like end of December, beginning of January, all of a sudden with like two or three weeks, boom, my phone starts ringing for job opportunities. And they were, they were, I was honored to be considered, but nothing that put me on that, on the stage that I wanted to go next. And then, uh, then I get a call from this headhunter. This headhunter goes, Hey, Alex, listen, we're calling you. They had talked to me a few years ago. Uh, Cole Banker's looking for a regional vice president uh, in Orlando. Now I'm in Miami. That's three hours away. And uh, I said, well, let me call my buddy. He's an art. He's a regional vice president for Cole Banker in Southern California, California. Let me call him and ask him what he thinks of the role. And he's like, and we talked about it and he convinced me to the point that I should at least interview. So, um, by the time I actually got the interview, they had filled Orlando and then you had Dallas, LA and Boston as the, the other opportunities. And I didn't want to do Boston because it's too cold. LA was cool because my buddy worked in Orange County and so in San Diego County. So him and I would have been partners essentially. Uh, but then that role filled, I went through 11 interviews. That part, that role filled by oh like gosh. number four. Um, and I'm like, Dallas, Dallas is like some hobunk town, man. It's like, you know, it's a bunch of cowboys <laughs> and, and all this stuff. And then yeah. I started doing the research and I'm like, oh my God, it's actually the fourth largest metropolitan area in the country. Um, and it's located in the fastest growing state in the country. And I started just researching online and I'm like, I got to do this. And I accepted the job without ever even flying out here. That's you know? amazing. And then That's I flew out here with Oh yeah. We bought a home and we didn't like everybody's like, just rent. You don't know yeah. how long you're going to be out there. I'm like, Nope, we bought. So yeah, that's amazing, man. Um, and, and like you said, I mean, you, you had the manifestations, you had the vision, um, you had the, the aha moment with Pedro's uh, oh, yeah. interview and all of that led to the culmination of moving to Dallas in the middle of a pandemic and reinventing yourself and, you know, 10xing your your ability to reach toward that big you know hairy audacious goal of of leading a national firm well i, I don't know if it, it at least put me it's been too soon right we'll, we'll see if the match if the honeymoon lasts yeah. but like meaning like you know you got to keep it going right um but i will tell you it at least put me in that arena and and so if if i fail miserably then i can look back and say well at least i tried yeah right? And if I succeed, which I have a feeling I'm going to, because that's just the confidence I have in myself, then I put myself in that arena. If I would have stayed, I know for a fact I would have always been like, what if? Yeah. What, what if? You know, because exactly. you just don't know. You just don't know when those other opportunities are going to present itself. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. You got to have uh, a gun to pull the trigger. Yeah. Guys, guys, rewind like the last two minutes and, and listen to that again. Uh, lots of value, Alex. I love that. Um, you're right. I mean, you need to be able to pull the trigger. You need to be able to commit. You need to be able to believe in yourself and have that confidence in yourself. I think that's one thing that when I was starting out in real estate and just in multifamily investing in general, I didn't fully believe in myself, but it wasn't until I did, I noticed, like you said, like opportunities just come up left and right. When you believe in yourself, you have that confidence and you have the clear vision of where you're headed 
then, you know, it's like magic, all these opportunities that are aligned with your goals and your, your future vision of yourself, they start coming out of nowhere. They start showing up. You're right. And yeah. the, the, the belief component is, the, Evan, it, to me, it's by far the biggest one. I think if I use this example with, with my agents, when I'm teaching the listing presentation class, and I got four different things that I go through that, you know, in order, before you even show up at a listing presentation, these are the four boxes you got to check off. And the last one is you got to believe in yourself. Because if you don't believe that you're worthy of that million dollar property listing, how do you yeah. ever expect the seller to believe in you? Yeah. And, and what you find is the, the, the biggest difference between top producers in, in any industry, not just real estate, is the difference between expectation and surprise. The, the, the salespeople that are surprised when they did a deal or they got a listing, those are typically your low producers. Your, your highest producers, every time they walk into a listing presentation, every time they have an opportunity to close a deal, every time they have an opportunity to work with a buyer, their expectation is the deal is going to get done. They are yeah. never surprised. Okay. Um, and that's the, and, and then I started looking at my management team and, and I'm trying to change their focus from don't be surprised when a top producer tells you they want to join you in your office, expect it, yeah. you demand it. Right. Um, but again, it, it, it's that belief in themselves and in myself or, or whoever's watching this and themselves. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Um, one last thing I want to cover before we jump into our monumental questions. Uh, you're, you're the closer club. Um, how did that come about? What was the, what was the genesis? What was the idea behind that? Great question. Um, so in South Florida, Dayton, Broward County, which is essentially for, for everybody knows Miami, everybody knows Fort Lauderdale. So in those two areas, we had 65,000 licensed realtors. Okay. So for comparison, wow. that is about half the size of the Dallas Fort Worth area. And in the entire Metroplex of Dallas Fort Worth, we have 43,000. Okay. Now, if there are 65,000 realtors and people choose to do business with people they like and they trust, how do I get, how do I convey my energy, my passion, my market know-how, my vibe, my look, my aura, like all that stuff. Right. Yeah. Because I, it's impossible for me to get in front of 65,000 people. So I said, you know what, I'm going to launch a show where I'm going to interview local real estate players. Okay because people are going to want to watch me interviewing this top realtor or this top developer. It's not about me, but I'll, I'll find a way to showcase myself. And that's how it launched. And I just started launching it. And I got in the beginning, they're like, you're doing too many. Nobody's going to want to watch it. You know, you're going to run out of people to interview. People are going to get bored. Like you hear all these excuses from people who either did not understand video or did not understand social media, uh, which by the way, is a great learning lesson. Be very careful who you take your advice from. I'll, I'll get into that in a minute. Yeah. And about four months into it, um, the Real Deal, which is the one of the largest real estate publications in the country, puts on this event in Florida, in Miami, where like 5,000 realtors go. And they always have the same speakers. And they're boring. Okay. And I said, I go to uh, the public relations agency for the Real Deal. I go, put me on stage. Get a different vibe up there. Let me do my thing. Okay. And they said, Alex, we love you. We love your brokerage, but the real deal doesn't know you or your brokerage. I said, all right, cool. I hung up the phone. And the very first phone call that I made was to Ryan Sirhan from Million Dollar Listing New York. And I said, screw it. I'll make my own. 
I'll make my own show. I don't need the real deal. And that's when it, it took off to having, you know, celebrity guests and entrepreneurs and all that. Um, and then it took on a life of its uh, life of its own at that point. And we recruited us up a storm. Uh, we added in 2019, we added an entire month's worth of company dollar as a result of agents that we recruited who found us because of the show um, in 2019. Wow. So that's how that that's impressive, man. So how like reaching out to Ryan Surhan, how did you go from, you know, screwed, I'm going to start a show to Ryan Surhan as your first, you know, reach out to a guest? Well, he was, he's the largest real estate, he's the largest or probably the, the most famous realtor, at least in, yeah. in the country. So he was my first phone call. And then after that, I, I mean, I just blitzkrieged everybody. You know, that's when I interviewed uh, Elena Cardone and, and Jared Glenn from, uh, from Grant Cardone. Uh, I got Patrick Bet David, Brad Lee. Um, I, I'd have to go back, but you know, now throughout the course of the show, I've had Grant Cardone on the Wolf of Wall Street and Bobby Castro and Pedro Skoulian and you know, a bunch of different CrossFitters and and celebrity, you know, um, uh, celebrity athletes and stuff like that. So um, that's all kind of evolved. then I just then I'm just like screw it, I'm going to interview people I like. Yeah, you know? exactly. Um, and then you start connecting people. So the way I got Grant Cardone on my show. Granted, I had his wife on, okay, yep. and I know you. I know you interviewed Elena as well. I had Jared on, so I had his closest people. I had his, yeah. all his friends on, okay, and I couldn't get Grant. I'm like, dude, I've interviewed everybody you know. Like, yeah. Following year, so this was last year. The real deal goes to put on their event. Okay, I asked to speak again. They told me no. Okay, I don't take it. I don't. I don't. Whatever, dude. I don't care. Yeah. Uh, and I go to them, I go, well, how would you like to have Grant Cardone on your show on, at the event? They're like, oh, my, well, we don't know anybody there. I said, okay. So I called Jared because I got Jared's cell phone. I'm like, Jared, how would you like to get Grant in front of 5,000 people, 5,000 realtors who can buy your products, buy your 10X tickets? He's like, you can make that happen. I'm like, I can make it happen. I'll connect you with, uh, wow. with Amir awesome. with the real deal. And I had the publisher of the real deal on my show, by the way, and he still hasn't put me over there. But that's Oh, my gosh. Um, but then I said, Jared, the only thing I asked for return is to get Grant on my show. He said, done. And that's how I got Grant on. That's awesome. That's adding massive value and connecting the dots too. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. It's what, um, what overall, I mean, you've had some phenomenal guests on outside of Grant. Um, how, what have been a few of your successful ways for connecting with these guests? <laughs> Instagram, man. In the beginning, Instagram. I, I Instagram DM'd so many people and if i show you you know okay let me let me let me let me show you this so have you ever heard of uh, that show um uh shameless on showtime uh-huh okay so one of my favorite actors on this show is a guy named steve howie okay i haven't aired this episode because uh i didn't think it would it would have been um it, it wouldn't have passed the mustard test. It was, it was a pretty cool interview, but <laughs> not not necessarily to be aired. So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can show you guys my phone here for a minute, okay? Just so you can see. All right. So I, this is where yep. it starts. Where I, I, I DM them on Instagram. Okay. Look at this. That's all. Wow. Me. So everybody Hello. listening, he's scrolling down through the DMs of just many yes. many messages, text yes. and video. Okay. That's wild. Then he finally replies. 
unrelenting and he goes he, says. he goes he goes you're an inspiration unrelenting dear god man why do you give such high praise to uh to never stop asking for an interview i'm like laughing literally laughing out loud does that mean you're in <laughs> he goes wow i'm impressed with your outlook yes i'm in let's talk tomorrow i'm available after i drop the kids off at school at 9 a.m uh, i don't give my number out but you are rare and you have a beautiful family lesson learned your your social media tells your story and he yep. gave me his he gave me his cell phone and I told him at one point, I'm never going to give up. My wife calls me Mr. Persistence. He says, I want, look, look at that. He goes, I want, oh, I got to be careful. Make sure that, because uh, his cell phone's there. So I don't want to do that. Uh, I want to hear, the, here, I'll do it like this. So you can see it. Look at, look at the very top line. I want to hear the oh, voice of Mr. Persistence. Right? Nice. That's amazing. Anyways. Oh man. It's fun going back and thinking about all that stuff. Yeah. That, that's some great takeaways. You know, that's that's very similar to people ask me the same question. And I'm always curious to learn from other great podcast hosts like yourself. Uh, and I and I say very similar. It's it's Instagram DMs. It's so easy compared to other mediums like email or phone or whatever. I think it's one of the best ways to most quickly access like direct access to high profile people. You get direct access to their pocket. Um, there's not really too many other ways to do that. No, and then and then once you get to a point that you know enough people and you've gotten enough big people going, then all of a sudden you start leveraging that. And like so, right. if you got somebody who's got their own show that's had guests on that you want to get on, and and okay, I have my show, and you got so you got guests that you've had on. I've got guests that you want to get on. So here's what we're gonna do: we're gonna make a mutual connection. You're gonna help me out. I'm gonna help you out, and then you have a direct line in. That's how I got uh, Chris Vaz, the author of Never Split the Difference, on. Uh, was because of that through a mutual connection. That's amazing, man. Uh, we'll love what you're doing with the Closer Club. Uh, excited to just watch that continue and continue to grow. Um, Thank you. Let's dive into our monumental questions. Go for it. Let's do it. What does success mean to you? Uh, my family being happy, 100%. And, and moving to Texas, the interesting thing, my kids told my wife the other day, they're like, we love it here. Like I didn't, we weren't sure, you know, uh, they're like, we love the school. We love the sports. We love our friends. We love just the community atmosphere. And this was my 10 year old saying this huh. to my wife, them being happy is to me, number one by far. Um, and then for me personally, professionally is challenging myself, being comfortable with the uncomfortable, um, and then putting yourself in that environment and actually succeeding. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, what about morning habit or daily rituals that you have? Work out every morning. Every morning. I hate the, the days off. I hate them because I just, I'm not the same. I, I put a whole CrossFit gym yeah. in my garage um, to make it that much more accessible for me. And yeah. I did that before COVID. I did that like four years ago. You know, uh, so I have to say, I, I, I sent that picture that you posted of your garage. I uh, sent that to my fiance. I was like, we need to get this. Oh, yeah, man. We, we need this level of home gym. Yeah, it's a, it's a CrossFit gym in my garage, pretty much. That's awesome. I love that thing. I love it. Um, what about favorite favorite book or book you're currently reading? Favorite book, Never Split the Difference. Chris Voss, by far. Life changer. Like, yeah. life, I will never stop preaching that book, ever. Yeah. It, from, from how you communicate with your customers how you communicate with your coworkers, how you communicate for me in recruiting, how I communicate with my wife, my kids, 
Um, that to me is a game changer. And when COVID started and companies started doing reductions in salaries and all that stuff, both my parent companies had reduced salaries by 40%. Huh. And if they were going to look to me to reduce the salaries of my division by 40%. I knew it was coming. I took the principles out of uh, the uh, never yeah. split the difference. I had an entire game plan set up and I got them to agree to a 15% reduction instead of 40. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Take it and implement it. That's exactly right. Um, Alex, phenomenal stuff. Lots of little golden nuggets throughout this episode. Um, I got a lot out of today's episode. I know our monumental listeners will as well. Just learning about, you know, basically committing, over committing to yourself, your vision, getting clear on your vision, um, being able to take life into your own hands and your terms, um, being able to connect and reach out to others at that influential level and, and not being afraid to be persistent about it. Um, there's just so many different things that our listeners are able to take away from today's episode. So first off, thank you for that. No, and thank, thank you to you for having me, man. I'm even honored to, to be considered. I know the guests you've had on, man. So thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Um, and then where can our monumental listeners follow you or reach out to you? Uh, uh, probably Instagram is going to be the easiest. So, uh, at Vidal Alex, uh, V I D A L A L E X, uh, from there, the link in the bio can take you to the, yeah, and it's open. So you can get in there. Um, you can go to the YouTube page. All my views are actually on Facebook because I do it via Facebook live. Uh, but if you want to see all the episodes in one location, the YouTube channel is the best. Yeah. Love it. Um, guys take Alex up on that. He's got some phenomenal interviews with the closer club on on facebook or youtube um and guys if you enjoyed today's episode make sure you uh like subscribe rate and review today's episode and also lastly um make sure that you if you enjoyed today's episode share it on social media share it on instagram tag me tag alex let us know you're listening and guys with that have a monumental day mm -hmm.